you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. The Big Bad Blogger Boys. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. Today, I'm going to be your host, Greg Rosenthal. Dan hands this out uh, for the show alongside Mark Sessler. And Patrick Claybon. It's been a long time since I did this little introduction. I'm well, not really totally sure I remember the words. That last okay. part's the most important part. Uh, um, yeah. You, you questioning yourself, but you, you nailed it as always, Greg. Yeah. You know, Greg, I think there was one show that you were hosting where you called me Matt. So <laughs> I think you're off to already a better start than, than that episode was. You know, it's got to be a loose show. Dan Ren's a tight ship. He's, you know, he's the host with the most. And, um, we're just going to talk about uh, stories from this week. It's you know we're we're all getting ready for a little summer break, a little bit. Shows are going to be a little less often after this. The NFL teams are about to go on summer vacation. Um, it's got that last day of school type feel vibe this week, except for for Claybon, who's wearing a, <laughs> a tie right now, and I think is working very hard throughout the summer. So I, I'm sorry for the the previous 30 seconds, Claybon. It's okay. I, I recognize that you know I, I am not the protagonist of reality, and uh, other people's circumstances are, are different than mine. And I appreciate. That. I'm glad you guys get a little bit of a break. Like I'm I'm not vindictive about it. You know. Well, I mean, there would have been, we were in personally, we were heading close towards like rebellion territory if we didn't get like a little bit of time here. So, although we have two shows coming up next week uh, to set out the schedule early, we're back next Tuesday and Thursday, I believe. So we'll have a, a little bit of a break, a six day break. We still got two shows this week, two shows next week. And then I think we go once a week and we go dark uh, for a little while. And um, I, you know, it stuck in my head when we were in person, Sessler. Dan said, like, the juice cleanse Sessler is not not his favorite Sessler. But at least, right. you know, which I think was a little harsh, but it at least, like, on on screen, the juice cleanse Sessler might be my favorite Sessler. Sessler looks primed. He looks jacked. He, his, the color is good. The shirt's unbuttoned. He, you know, I, you look prime Sessler right now. So it might be my favorite Sessler. I like where you're going with this. I will say that um, there's been a huge shift in this house. I don't know if it's the same in your houses, but you know, the LA weather, LA regional weather has um, hiked up a bit and it's boring to talk about weather, but I will just say that one of the reasons I think I have a bit of a rosier glow is that it's like, I'm sweating. It's hotter than a, like a cannonball shot into my face right now. So yeah, you know, great, great weather or historic drought that's going to cause uh, wildfire and um, untold damage to our state. You who can say, but it is it is nice. <laughs> much, much as Robbie Anderson said about uh, Sam Darnold this week, that there's an aura, <laughs> a, a glow. I, I see it on Mark. I see the energy uh, ready to explode from him uh, in, in a positive way. Not like, ah, Mark's going to, you know, sabotage a, a, a shipping lane. I, I see it as, as a good thing. Like Mark's going to hug some people and it's good. So this is more legit potentially than the Darnold glow comments, which I found, you know, <laughs> and a variable Simone, Simone's got to like it too. I think Simone's got to like this good looking Sessler. Not that he isn't always, high apathy. But, um, I would categorize it as high apathy. <laughs> uh, Clay, that's a perfect transition because today's show, again, we're going to talk about uh, some stories this week. They would normally be the news items, but instead we're just going to make that the segment. We're going to throw out some things that happened this week, uh, and we're going to just uh, declare uh, as a group, I guess, um, whether we care or not. Do we care or not? Does it matter or not? And uh, we'll move on. And why not? Like, that's a fine place to start. Wasn't planning on talking it, but do you think Sam Darnold's uh, rosy glow? Do we care about that? Uh Patrick Claybon, you know, that Robbie Anderson says he's got an aura. He's got a he's got a different vibe about him. I care enough to make jokes about it uh, because I think it's funny because it, it goes to so much of the way I think about sports and the way that we turn it into like a cartoon is to say like, oh, this person is summoning the strength of, of, of Thor, right? He's going <laughs> to wield the hammer. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad Sam is happy. I'm glad the vibes are, are good now. 
Um, I, I don't know if that makes him a better football player, but um, yeah, I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, no. Uh, if we're saying, yeah. does it matter? Uh, his disposition? No. Uh, I, I, what matters is, is he a better football player? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold, they've seen some things having been part of that Jets wreckage. I mean, I do think there's probably something to the fact that they're simply happier. Um, I give Robbie Anderson a little bit of credit for, you know, we're killing these players, um, understandably, for the endless tropes. This was a little bit, this wasn't a weather-worn trope the same way that you normally hear about quarterbacks. I mean, we're talking auras, we're talking glows. Um, This is also a player that did not know the Panthers' mascot, so I'm not sure how deep he dug to create this narrative, but I'd enjoyed it to some degree. Yeah, I like it. I mean, when you yeah, when you can go from Gase to uh, Joe Brady and Matt Rule, who I think are gonna gonna help Sam Darnold out. Not sure about that offensive line in Carolina. PFF did like an offensive line rankings uh, going into the season. Steve Palazzolo, I never know how to say his last name, and he, he they had him thirtieth. And you look at it, and it, it's not great. I wasn't planning on doing Darnold, but that seemed like a fun place to start. We are gonna give some book recommendations, by the way, at the end of the show. You know, Mark, Mark suggested that. I like that. It's summer reading time. And so that's how we're going to close the show. But let's go to a, a bigger item of news this week, uh, which is all these mandatory minicamp holdouts, which is the only time you can use the word holdout until training camp because they are required to be there and they can be fined if they are not there. And Xavier Howard, the Dolphins cornerback, was a surprise absence this week. Uh, he wants a new contract. Uh, that's what Brian Flores, the Dolphins head coach, uh, alluded to. And he called it a, quote, unique situation when it came to Howard. Do we care about this one, Mark? I mean, I think it's something to monitor. It doesn't sound like it's it's like super cantankerous based on what Flores said. And he was kind of veiled in his comments. But this is a player that just signed a new year, a new deal, a massive extension in 2019 and now wants more money. It kind of reminds me of when we talked about Stefan Gilmore on um, Monday, was that? I don't know what, Monday? Like that, you know, when he signed his deal, the deal looked great. But then even a couple years later, you fall down on that list of who's getting paid at cornerback. And he's behind his teammate, Byron Jones, which I think maybe could be a little bit, a little bit of just, I want to be heard. I want to have some money moved around. I don't want to be locked into this from now until the end of time. Um, That's, you know, and so we monitor it and I leave it there. I I think, I think it, it matters in the sense of, what Xavier and Howard's goals are long-term because I think if, if the discrepancy is between the 12 million for him this year and the 14 million for Byron Jones, then I wouldn't really be sure what he's doing. Um, If I'm not mistaken, he's the second highest paid player on the whole team. Uh, So I don't necessarily think this is as much about 2021. I I, I think the team's potential out comes in 2022 and he's had a few good years in Miami. So I I can see from his point of view, the desire for a long-term time to kind of answer to what his career is going to be like. Uh, because it'd be around a $3 million cap hit if they let him go next year, depending on the timing. Um, I, I'm I'm looking at, you know, the the dropped battery charges, right? Um, you know, he there was a, a domestic battery as, uh, uh, arrest, and they were then dropped. Um, I'm not sure if they're a concern for Miami, right, as much as they should concern anybody, right, when somebody's accused of domestic battery. But I think the Dolphins might see that as a justification for paying him less, uh, because if they were truly concerned, uh, then he wouldn't be on the team, right? So I, I think the, right, that's the, the Dolphins, uh, the Dolphins would like to pay him less as much as you know any any employer would probably like to pay a productive employee less, uh, and so they see you know the way that that's playing out. But I, I really think it's just him looking for some sort of long term answer. But uh, he, he, he got a long term answer. He signed through twenty twenty four. I I think it, it does matter. But they can they can dump I, him next year though, right? But they never would because he's a defensive player of the year candidate last year who, who is, you know, relatively affordable for a cornerback. He signed like a five-year, $75 million contract at a time when I think there were probably differing opinions on Xavier Howard. Like right. he, he's up and down. And like at the time people were like, wow, that's a really good deal for Howard. That's them believing in their young player. And, and on the field last year, he backed it up with a first team all pro season. I think it's really unique. It matters in the sense of like, any how much can any story for the NFL matter in June? Um, because I think it's tricky. I I I don't see how you give Xavier Howard more money, not just because it's a precedent with so many years left on his contract, but he signed it two years ago. He signed for three or four more years. Since he signed the contract, he had that domestic violence arrest. I mean, he he was in jail. Like that's significant. How can that not? I've seen 
a handful of analyses on this situation that don't even mention that. Like, of course that should factor into whether you should sign a, a guy to a long-term contract. And then in the two years since the other year, he missed 11 games or seven games, nine games, whatever it was, he missed more than half the season with a knee injury in 2019. So since he signed that contract, they got one incredible year, one where he was hurt and you had this off field issue. But I think the main thing is we see this again and again, and we're seeing it with Chandler Jones in Arizona guys hate it when you sign a new player at your position to more money. And so he's just pissed that he knows he's better than Byron Jones, or at least he was in 2020. And Byron Jones is right next to him, and he's making more money. We see this at our workplace sometimes. Absolutely, I'm not, not going to name names. It's it's at any workplace. I'm not going to name names. If, if, if we knew how much everybody was making, I guess we would we'd see it. Sometimes more. it pops up, and you have an idea though, and some people are not happy. I mean, I'm saying in front of the camera, behind the camera. I think this is a universal thing. I'm not. I'm not. I, I once had a terrible. Um, it was a job where you basically wrote like proposals to get business. This was a sort of a startup company up in Malibu. Um, long story short, family owned about 20 employees, but some dunderheaded um, idiot, and it wasn't me, um, <laughs> sent out mistakenly the pay, the salary of every single person inside the building. And Whoa. like, you know, a cornerback room, there were seven or eight people that were kind of grinders that were, we would all be looked at in the same role and they all were equally valuable. But one of them was getting paid like, twice as much as anyone else. And one guy who probably just wasn't good at um, fighting for himself was getting paid like um, someone that had been hired from a temp agency. So they, it caused immediate headaches and volcanoes. It was um, fascinating to, to watch. Shout out to shout out to that guy. Shout out to comrade uh, Dunderhead. Uh, <laughs> I feel you, dog. I know, <laughs> keep, like normal, I'm all for normalizing um, salary and financial talk and money talk like in general. Uh, people get too too up and you know people act like it's the most private thing in the world. Let let's normalize this. It's just it's just money. Well, we shouldn't be all in our feelings uh, about it. Uh, let's stay in Miami though for our sec uh, the next story and and talk uh, Tua Tungavailoa. Um, I feel like this happens with one quarterback every year. Jimmy Garoppolo was the guy a couple years ago. I remember he threw like six interceptions in one practice. Uh, this time it was Tua throwing five in a monsoon. This is a trope alert. Trope alert. Um, do we care about Tua Tungavailoa throwing five interceptions in June, Patrick? No, I, no. Like, are we extrapolating his his long term career viability based on a June practice? People were panicking. People were just like, I don't know. This, is, I think, people are looking for reasons not to like Tua right right now, or to like Tua and like defend that it doesn't mean anything. People get in their little corners, including me. Whatever confirms your priors, right? That's that's how right. we handle uh, June in NFL training camp news, right? Um, I, I don't particularly think it matters. Like Brian Flores, I don't think this was an excuse. What he said, like practice is a time to practice to see what works and what doesn't work um and if if you know you're picked off five times uh yeah the congrats maybe Xavier howard and byron jones maybe everything's working back there maybe we take the positive news from that um but i i, I don't see it as some sort of strike against tua that, that he's throwing picks against his what, what was a good defense uh last year in practice oh i mean also it happened in like a driving rainstorm there, there were like two inches of rain were dumped on that part of Florida yesterday. And, you know, this is coming just what the beat reporter said and sort of a chill out, please chill out everyone that they were like intentionally unfurling like passes deep down the field into tight windows to kind of just, you know, show aggression. The other thing I'd say is George Godsey and Eric Studesville, who, you know, because they're co-OCs get a little bit heat on this show. And I, I think it is a TBD scenario um, but Miles Gaskin said it is a new playbook. It's a totally new playbook. This isn't to a, uh, you know, gaining more comfort from the playbook from last year. It's sort of the opposite of that. And I think that's flown under the radar mm. just a little bit. Um, I have a no problem with these quarterbacks going out and having like one day like that where a certain statistical category gets jacked up. I mean, we complain all the time about beat writers giving us too many detailed stats from a <laughs> padless or, uh, you know, super basic practice. Well, then we can't, you know, be jumping out of windows when this occurs. <laughs> yeah, I used to write uh, these articles 
during OTA minicamp season and it was like a huge paragraph on each team and like which players were rising and falling. This was especially did this at Roto World when I was doing more fantasy, but I did it here too. And I and I see it happening quite a bit still, especially in fantasy. And and I I don't know if I'm right or I'm just like lazy, but I have come to the conclusion there is there is literally nothing you can draw from on-field play in OTAs and minicamps. Nothing other than injuries, like nothing in terms of performance and, and evaluation and competition. And Belichick and Flores talk about this pretty often, that this is teaching time. This is teaching and installing and competition starts the first day of training camp. That's when competition starts. Right. So and, I, and I take coaches it. will also say that the one like the, the groups you can't even judge at this time of year are offensive lines and mostly defensive lines. So it's like we're, we're talking about a quarterback throwing interceptions when like the reason he's going to be held upright is hard to determine in, in, in early June. So I, I totally sail it down the river. I would just, if, if you're going to report the, the interceptions, right. Uh, just give us some, some context, right. For, right. for each, like, like maybe a graph on each pass. Like what, what was the average depth of target? What, what was the circumstance with regards to the pressure of win rate? I, I don't know. Uh, if, it, if we're going to, if we're going to draw stuff from it, then you, you just need to give us everything. It does. It does get to, what to a struggle then which was you know deep throws and that they're gonna have to improve on that and i think mark your point is really good about that it's a new offense it is a little bit of a concern like if you're a third year player on the dolphins this is your third offense or if you're right. Devonte parker um it's about your seventh offense and it's and it's your third in three years and you're uh, i projected four either rookie or second year starters on the offensive line so it's a young team. The Dolphins have this way of, I think, the last in under Flores looking like a hot mess in the offseason. And I thought was like one of the worst rosters in the league going into each of the last two seasons. And and then they're way better than the sum of their parts. So I'm giving a little bit of credit to the process that they'll they'll make it look better, Flores and Greer, than it seems to look on paper. But it, it is a lot. They're a divide, they're a tricky team to evaluate. With with again, as Mark pointed out, two two offensive coordinators right so so maybe right. it's two offenses just in this year right because we don't we don't know <laughs> who's true. calling the plays it's like some i gotta imagine it's Megazord. really one of the two that's leading the way but i don't know who that, that was no but if, if if that weren't the case or like you just it's like the way that their personalities mingle matters i mean one if one of them is sort of like likes to quietly take credit for everything it's like the guy that wants to be in tua's ear on the sideline with the other guys probably doing well, that's, way more not work Studsville, who's been around for 20 years and is beloved as he's usually a running backs coach and like is known you know i don't know what happened here but this is one of those things that flores took from belichick that he that's like don't take that from belichick like flores is, probably has it in his mind that he wasn't even defensive coordinator when he was the defensive coordinator i don't think anyone <laughs> remembers that like when he was calling those plays in the super bowl he was he didn't even have the title they didn't have one then uh the patriots also went co-coordinators at one point and then they went to no coordinators uh in variety of years so it's a silly thing to take from belichick but i don't think it's that huge of a deal let's go to minnesota where uh, i'm gonna just tip my hand here i think this was probably the biggest story of the week, which which tells you it wasn't like a massive week. But Danelle Hunter uh, signed a new deal with the Vikings right after we taped on Monday. And then right on the back of that, Sheldon Richardson returned to Minnesota uh, where he was in 2018, I believe, for one year and played pretty well there. So the combination of those two stories to me, I think are significant because this, this contract thing happened with Hunter even before he hurt, was out for last season. Uh, so it had been kind of sitting there for a while. And so they moved up some guaranteed money. And more importantly to him, they'll make him a free agent after this season or they'll pay him $20 million in 2022. So either way, he'll either have his freedom or he'll have his money. And between those two guys, it, it, it helps. What to me was the biggest weakness on the Vikings defense, which was their defensive line. Um, they might play a little more three, four. They get Michael Pierce back from opting out. They signed Dalvin Tomlinson. They had, they added a lot of people in the secondary, including Bashad Breeland recently. That one slipped under the radar. They, you've got Patrick Peterson. They got Xavier. I kind of suddenly am thinking the Vikings defense, which was a hot mess last year and was the biggest reason why they didn't make the playoffs. It was not the offense should go back to what they normally were, which was very good under Mike Zimmer, like a top 10 defense. And if they were a top 10 defense and suddenly you're like, okay, maybe the Vikings are back in the playoffs. Do you agree, Claybon? 
I, I do. And I think it, in the way that it happened, right, the rapidity in which it's like, oh, yeah, this is, oh, okay, they've got Richardson, Daniel Hunter's back. Um, it shows a clarity of purpose. There's no, you know, wishy-washy, well, we'll wait and see. Like, this is what uh, the brass wants. This is what Zimmer wants. And and he's going to get it. And so I, I think, right, um, you can see that there is this cohesion uh, among the coaching staff and the front office with regards to 2021. Like, we, you know, who knows what the future holds, but this is what we're doing. And I like that. I, I can't see a negative to that. Yeah, I mean, Rick Spielman, the GM, does not turn out a lot of, like, low-level rosters. If anything, he's been, if if not, like, a superstar, he's been extremely consistent. And they just, they had PFF's worst pass rushing group a year ago, and it showed. They just didn't have the bodies. And so, you know, I, I think, like, I, Daniil Hunter, if he if he is able to become what he was before, is one of the best in the league. You got Steven Weatherly. Um, Sheldon Richardson, I thought, played pretty well for the Browns and was a bit of a surprise departure. I know that they're trying to change their scheme up just a little bit, and maybe he didn't quite fit in. Um, but, but on top of just the player, uh, that was the one move that they've pulled off where teammates were agitated because they loved Richardson. So, you know, I know hmm. he's gone. He's, he's moved around from team to team a bunch, but he was popular there, and they liked him in Minnesota too, and they're bringing him back. So I, I don't hate that. I think the one-two punch changes their defense quite a bit. Yeah, the Browns did not help Richardson max his money no. this year with the timing. So he got paid, I think it's with you know incentives and stuff over four, like about four million. And he's better than plenty of defensive tackles who signed for more money. He's the perfect kind of veteran sign. He's very much in Dominican Sue type signing, but a few years younger, where it's like. Hey, you just signed a guy who can play 700 snaps for you. You basically know exactly what you're getting, which is solid production. Like, you know, he's not going to be a superstar, but you just plug him in. And they needed that. And uh, I, I was looking at this roster. They've, I, we talked about the Vikings. I did the, uh, the Mina Kimes podcast with Lenny this week. People should check out. They drafted 11 players this year, including eight in the first four rounds. Half of those guys were on defense. I don't know these defensive guys. They were 34th rounders, but it's like, I'm not going to pretend I have some hot take, but it's like, if you hit on a few of these and a few of the ones on offense and they, they sign guys in numbers uh, in the secondary where they just have like six cornerbacks who have played or can play. Cam Dancer was a rookie for them. That was pretty good. I don't know. I, I think they could be dangerous, especially in a division uh, that Aaron Rodgers might not be involved in. Let's let's stay in that division and talk um, Bears this week. Matt Nagy seems to be doing the rounds this year. Seems to be in a really good mood, so that's good. I'm happy for him. You know, he sometimes he seems to really go up and down with his mood, but it seems like a happy. <laughs> I'm just saying, as coaches go, he seems either to kind of really hate the media experience or seems like a totally cool guy. Uh, he's in totally cool guy mode, and he was talking with Chris Collinsworth this week on Collinsworth's podcast. Let's listen to that. But I do have to ask this one question. Is there a possible scenario where Justin Fields plays on opening night? No, I mean, Andy is our starter. And, and again, I can't predict anything, you know, that that's, you, you know how it goes. I mean, there's so, so many things that could happen between today and, and that week one, but that's Andy is our starter and, and Justin's our number two. And we are going to put, we're going to stick to this plan. <laughs> Does it matter? Mark Sessler, you made, you made the best facial expression of the three of us. So you get the point. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the one thing, if you're Matt Nagy, maybe you're going back to the blueprint the chiefs used with Patrick Mahomes where, you know, if you take a look at Chicago's early schedule, maybe he's just sort of saying, I don't want to put all this on a rookie because they have the Rams. Then, okay, the Bengals, fine. But the Browns, Ravens, Raiders, Packers, Bucks, Niners, and Steelers before mm. the bye. That's essentially going through a playoff field in the NFC and AFC. Um, that said, I, I, Matt Nagy was hired to do one thing, to manage the quarterback position to manage how you move from player a to b um from a you know a group of nobodies to a justin fields who he's gone he's gone out of his way to compliment in high order i mean he seems to love justin fields so i don't know if this is more of a protection thing i don't like it at all um it, it, would you treat would that is that how you're going to treat your offensive line a rookie blows up in august and absolutely dominates or we're not ready for ha for him to be out on the field it's just <laughs> sort of like an it's the quarterback position. And I think actually it's the wrong way to deal with quarterbacks 
um, in 2021, but I am sitting here. It's his prerogative, but but he's leaning into it hard. Um, when it felt like it was going to be the first non-frustrating Bears offseason in a while, um, <laughs> I find it to be, it's just pressing a little too hard. Why do you have to say any of this? Uh, because of the circumstances, right? Um, if, if he's Andy Reid and he has the job security of an Andy Reid uh, and, and Andy Dalton becomes Alex Smith, right? That the 20, whatever, uh, 14, 15 version of Alex Smith, uh, then yeah, you have the luxury of of going with the starter. Um, but the the best way, uh, the most important job for a lot of coaches and GMs is to keep their job. Uh, mm-hmm. and, the, and the best way for Matt Nagy to keep his job and maintain uh, his importance uh, is to start Andy Dalton until that circumstance becomes untenable and then start Justin Fields. Uh, so I, I don't think it matters because um, we could say that with any particular rookie quarterback in any starting scenario. Uh, the coach uh, many times is going to do what's necessary to keep his job, especially if he's not coming in with a rookie quarterback. Uh, if you are a holdover from a quarterback who didn't succeed uh, in your system and a new quarterback comes in by virtue of the Denver Broncos choosing not to draft that quarterback, uh, then you you have this opportunity to protect yourself and so I, I, I see it as whenever the circumstances change, that's when we're going to get Justin Fields, right. uh, regardless of how Matt Nagy responds to the dulcet tones of, of Chris Collinsworth, who sounds like a pitch shifted Jack Collinsworth to me. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, recognizing he has that a different uh, voice on his podcast, you're saying? It's it's more sultry. It's a little sexier, uh, which I, I think we can all appreciate. Hey, hey Matt. Now that matters. <laughs> that take matters. He he once I've probably told this story before we've done this podcast so long, but he once pre-taped uh, a, a weekly question for this this digital fantasy show I hosted in around 2007 called the Fantasy Fix. And, you know, but he did it all in one one take like in September and we just taped the question for the whole year. But it would really crack us up because we would just watch this tape and it'd be him for three minutes going Hey, Tiffany and Greg, like, who do you think's better this? I can't. Wow. It's really falling apart. My no, you nailed like, it. Who do you think's better this week? Uh, Frank Gore or Tatum Bell? And then, then it would just like him going into the next one for three minutes straight. I really that's my favorite Collinsworth memory. That's yeah, I'm, you guys gave such great answers. Mine is short. No, it, none, I think this is all nonsense. And the only reason <laughs> it it um caught fire as much as it did on Twitter was, and I don't want to call the person out. I don't know who, remember who it is. They, they paraphrased it wrong. I was in the aggregating game a long time and they, they aggregated it and paraphrased it as Nagy said, there is no scenario where Dalton uh, could be the backup week one which Collinsworth, by the way, is has self-interest. He's calling that game. He's like, please give us Justin Fields. Oh, true. And we all do, because we all want to watch that game with Justin Fields. And y- y- yes, he started the answer by saying the word no to like a yes or no question. But then he went into a whole spiel about, well, you know how it is. I can't predict anything. Things change. Uh, in the meantime, Chris, and I can't say what, what they would be, but, the, you know, Here's the plan. One of the things that can change is Justin Fields is awesome in August and Andy Dalton is not. And that's it's like why the, these coaches have to answer these questions. But I re, I truly think it means less than nothing. I, of course, it's the plan. It's the game that you have to play publicly. I also think it's funny that in some other uh, interviews that he's had, he also makes it very clear that Nick Foles is the number three and has no chance to move up to number two, <laughs> which is, that's kind of funny to me too. Like if Fo- like he's doing this to like protect Dalton's ego and what they promised Dalton, but he has no problem saying like, sorry, Foles, man. I know you were a uh, Super Bowl MVP. You've been in the league 12 years. There's actually absolutely zero chance that you could even move up to number two. That's I don't even know what are. he's doing on the, I think that it's just like, you know, keep them safe. <laughs> Inside like a, a carton or a crate until we trade him somewhere for like a late pick for a team that gets, you know, ravaged by quarterback injuries. I like to hear that at least he's flexible, Nagy. I mean, if this changes, then change with it. Because you mentioned, you know, career security, Claybon. But I mean, if fields like were blowing people away visually and played really well out of the gate, that's job security right there. I mean, you guys made the right, right choice for a change and you're coaching them up. Um, I, I just find it to me a little bit like, I know, so we tweeted out QB one, so we've got to stick with that now. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> was on a social media operative. Like it's just, let's be flexible and real here, please. Yeah. I, uh, 
don't know about I don't know about the Bears. You're right to uh, Claybon. Like the the Broncos not taking Fields, and it's funny because they were they they were far from the only team that could have maybe used the quarterback to pass on them. You know, the Panthers, Panthers. You know, the Dolphins. You know, technically could have. You know, whatever. They, there could have been other teams that had done it, but the Broncos are the one team because I think they have a a Super Bowl ready roster if they had like a great quarterback where you you are going to be thinking like, wow, the hype would be out of control if they had Justin Fields right now on that roster, but they don't. And uh, yeah, it's, it's what I'm always going to come back to because as much as we laud Chicago for, for taking Justin Fields, my thing is if you think that he's going to start for you, right. For the next 10 to 12 years, uh, why wait till 11? (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) I think it might be like, let's see how that Rams defense is looking week one. If it looks like it did a year ago, maybe Dalton can be the sacrificial lamb and and we go week two. Justin Fields. He's got to look good in camp too. Let's go uh, to one guy who has been with the same in the same uniform uh, Raiders uniform, his whole career, you know, they changed it up when they moved to Vegas a bit. Uh, And he says uh, he doesn't ever want to play in a different uniform. Derek Carr went as far to say as uh, he thinks he would retire before he would play in a different uniform. That's loyalty. Claybon, do we do we care about this? I care. I, okay, Derek Carr good. is threatening to retire in the event that the <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders trade him. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, yeah, you can. You guys can float these constant trade dis- discussions every single year, or I can just say right now, uh, if you trade me, I quit. I will not play for any other team. I'm tired of this constant discussion. Uh, I see it as mattering because I, I think he might do it. Like I, I, I think I think he he would shut it down perhaps uh, just out of sheer spite for this constant conversation that he's been a part of. I mean, we don't know if Derek Carr internally is the guy that's saying and telling people closest to him, I want to play till I'm 40, which you've heard from like eight other quarterbacks at this point. Is he that guy? I mean, it's a bit of a severe kind of like, um, you know, these things don't work in relationships, ultimatums. So if you're telling the Raiders, like I'm your starter. And if you feel displeased with my play, um, I'm just going to retire. What's like, Okay, but I don't think he'd ever actually do that because you're leaving a tremendous amount of potential money on the table unless you kind of are done with football at some point. Or this to me felt like a quarterback who's always playing from behind um, with the fan base, a big chunk of the fan base with the media. Like I've been hard on Derek Carr, but like honestly, he played pretty well last year in in some tough situations. He's not always, you know, had the easiest environment. He he does what even if he if he performs beyond expectations, he's always sort of this person who's viewed as not good enough for John Gruden, not quite what the Raiders want because they're going after Tom Brady. You know, you're thinking they might go after someone like maybe they'd go after Aaron Rodgers. They try to trade for someone else. There's always another quarterback um, lingering in the imaginative distance. And Derek Carr never seems to make anyone happy enough. And he he said uh, as part of these comments that people don't know how close he is with John Gruden off the field, which I thought I thought was interesting. And may, maybe that relationship has gotten better and better. Um, he he said, I'm a Raider for my entire life. I'm going to root for one team for the rest of my life. It's the Raiders. I feel so strong in my heart. I don't need a perfect situation to make things right. I'd rather go down with the ship. It does feel like one of those things that happens um, – in sports, I guess probably more than most industries, but maybe others that like you are loyal to your employer until you realize how uh, disloyal they are to you. Because I just, the Raiders aren't going to be loyal to Derek Carr the second that his performance drops. So he, he I, I don't, uh, I don't put too much stock into to, to the retirement threat because Derek Carr can make a great living and play uh, football for another decade, whether it's starting backup, whatever it's going to be in the long run. Um, it is, uh, it is fascinating though, that they've had like this, this run together. He does seem like one of those guys though, um, that like was really mad at Kevin Durant for leaving the thunder, you know, (laughs) that's like very loyal, loyal, wants his players to be loyal to their teams, even though they're not necessarily loyal to him. So he's not going to be like doing the Russell Wilson, um, let's leak to the media things if he if he has a great season and like wants to get a bigger contract. His contract's coming up fairly soon, by the way, Derek Carr. 
But as Mark said, he doesn't have the public capital to do that because he's, people are always getting at him uh, just for being Derek Carr. Like he's been pretty good, but well, including that- us. So I, I, or at least including me, I'll, I'll say myself, I've never, I never was totally a believer. And I think he's improved every year with Gruden. Uh, and he is an asset now for sure. I think he's a top, top 12 quarterback. I think he is too. But I mean, we're in a league where unless you have one of those top five guys, it's totally fair game to be looking around, to be thinking about we could draft someone. And he's just always someone you never, I, how often do we think like, Hey, they have Derek Carr. They're good for the next four or five years. No one thinks that. Right. It's he'll Jimmy be G, supplanted. He'll be replaced by Jimmy, someone soon. Right. Jimmy G got replaced. Maybe he wouldn't have if he had stayed healthy, but he, he's kind of at a similar tier. Well, we'll see whoever the next quarterback is, right? When it's when it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, like, okay, like, yeah, I, I can't be too mad about that. Russell Wilson, yeah, I also can't be too. But once you get into, like, maybe below that tier, um, then then you, you start to get your feelings hurt. I, I do want to point out, though, if Derek Carr was a free agent, I, I heard this discussion somewhere else, I forget, like, trying to guess what he would make. And, you know, it was it was somewhere in between that, like, unbelievable backup and like quality starter level which is like 24 is the bottom of that and and i thought that's crazy i think Derek carr would make over 30 million dollars a year yeah. easily he, what is because like of kirk, kirk cousins, cousins type exactly signing, yeah. kirk cousins is the is the perfect example kirk cousins when he actually was a free agent and any team could sign him got <laughs> got 30 million because there was competitive services for him and I think Derek Carr would be as attractive or more um, as Cousins was as a free agent. So, you know, you don't have to retire, Derek. You can, you can keep playing. Let's, uh, let's finish with one more sort of holdout. Jamal Adams was excused from mandatory minicamp. Um, so it's not a holdout. But Pete Carroll did allude to the contract negotiation taking place between the two sides as being a factor in why he's not there. And he said... Um, that they've been making, that they've been doing good work on Jamal Adams's contract and that he thinks they're going to get there. I think this does matter because Carol saying that publicly was more important than Adams not being there. It basically said that it's, it's a matter of time. This thing is going to be signed before training camp starts and Jamal Adams will very likely be the highest paid safety in the league topping Justin Simmons uh, in Denver. Mark, what do you think? I mean, I, I feel like it was all predestined when they gave up multiple firsts for him and kind of said he's the cherry on top of our, our Super Bowl roster. That's how we see ourselves. I mean, I love that they're aggressive. Um, you know, when, I, when that deal initially happened, I killed the Jets for one thing, not being able to hold on to star players. But looking at what they've done since, um, where I was incorrect or where I should have been a little bit different in, in my view of that, was that he wasn't going to stick around with the Jets. They got a ton of value for him, and they found a buyer who bought at a high, high value. I mean, it's like incredible what they, what they now have to deal with because they have no choice but to pay Jamal Adams a huge amount of money. So why have him at minicamp? What he has some sort of a non-contact injury that takes him out of the, of the, of the deal for six months. Just keep him in ice and bring him back because you're forced to pay him now. I don't like that for Seattle a whole lot. I like the player. Um, there's a lot of drama that comes with him, but I just feel like they have zero leverage. They have no, they have the, the opposite of leverage. Yeah. I also see it as not mattering. Um, I, I think Jamal Adams would play with an amputated foot. Um, I think him missing a few days of minicamp, is it going to be a, a long-term problem? And like Mark said, and like you've said, Greg, um, when you make the trade, you, you've already made the investment. Uh, it's just, it's just a matter of time before you get pinned to paper. And I, so I, I just see this as, um, dotting, dotting of I's and crossing of T's and it, it's not really going to hurt Jamal Adams and his ability to play football. Uh, he's not going to forget. Right. They, um, they can fine him and they, they're not going to because he's excused and then the fines in training camp really get aggressive so skipping this week is is one of the only levers players have left to pull like a stefan gilmore or howard or adams uh it gets harder to do uh when it comes to training camp Dwayne brown by the way their left tackle also said he wants a new contract um 
and he has one year left on his deal. He was at minicamp, so this really um, isn't a huge deal, but I wouldn't be surprised if they give him an extra year or two on his contract because he's still playing at a really high level, kind of on the Andrew Whitworth plan. Okay, that was fun. You know, I think we we settled it. We, we settled what matters, what doesn't. Claybon's got like a news hit coming up in about <laughs> 10 minutes. Do you need to go, Patrick? Claybon? No, we're good. We're good. Okay. I'm good. So we're going to wrap up this this summary show um, with some book recommendations. You know, I threw one out out of the blue apparently last week, not understanding what this some our last segment was going to be in our Pride episode. Uh, but Mark thought this would be this would be a fun way. It's summertime. Maybe you have a little more time. You're going to the beach. That's a thing. And we're going to throw out some some books we like to wrap up the show and, and go on for a long weekend. At least for us, Claybon's going to be uh, grinding. Well, you want to start, Mark, since this was your idea? Sure, I can I can throw one out there. I excel at buying books. Um, when it comes to reading them at this <laughs> stage in life, that's not been, I've not been so uh, successful there. But I got this book, um, Room to Dream, put it in Ooh. front of the camera there. Oh, nice. It is uh, David Lynch, the director and artist David Lynch. It's like an autobiography, but why I think it's amazing, and I'm only about 40 pages into it, is that he co-wrote it with this um, writer, Christine McKenna. And she goes and writes, like, let's say there's 20, there's 20 chapters that go through his life. She did a ton of research, interviewed hundreds of people. She'll write the chapter about uh, David Lynch from age born to age seven. And then Lynch in the next chapter comes back and basically re, not rewrites it, but he writes his version of it. Um, because invariably it's going to be different than your research and who you talk to. It was just his POV. So the whole book is going through his whole career that way. Um, he's number one, an awesome writer. She is too. But his, the way he thinks and the way he remembers um, stuff, like then you go watch his films and it's like, this is one of the more unusual uh, individuals out there. And people don't know he did like Twin Peaks. He did, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff. I mean, he's, he's also Mulholland an artist. Drive. He Mulholland I, Drive. Like that was Lost one of the most memorable you know? movie going yep. experiences of my life is driving like spooky la streets uh <laughs> like where i saw some of the scenes like the pink's hot dog stand was right near the movie theater i right. saw it at, and i was just like oh my gosh yeah so <laughs> you know i like to recommend a book that i've only also read 30 something pages of which you know anything <laughs> okay. could happen from here on out but there you go so you're just throwing out one. Oh, I, I came up with too big of a list here oh man. i just didn't oh, want to wow. go in a row oh, no that's good Clay one for later but, okay Clavon. Yeah. um a um I, I don't have a substantial list. I, I, I probably could crank out a couple. Um, but the uh, I, I've been really big into historical materialism uh, this this past uh, few months, um, starting with uh, W.E.B. Du Bois's uh, Black Reconstruction in America, uh, which takes a materialist look back at the circumstances uh, leading up to uh, the Civil War and and throughout the Reconstruction era before it was it was violently put down uh and set us on the path that we are today uh so that that was a that that was a good book for me uh got into it with a reading group and it spawned other readings uh so mm. that, that led to a a productive uh summer of learning right uh which is uh not summer i guess spring i don't know what days are uh, anymore in especially in la in yeah. la it's all kind of the same and audiobooks are, are, are crucial for me uh right because uh between the kids and everything you, you can't you can't have your attention divided too much before, uh, especially the larger one tries to destroy some object or himself or his little sister. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the audiobook of Black Reconstruction uh, was good. Uh, then there's uh, Black Jacobins. I guess there's a theme, right, which chronicles the Haitian Revolution uh, with, uh, by C.L.R. James. Uh, it was a great book as well. Uh, if you're into right a view of history and, and circumstances and, and want to have a, a, a better understanding, uh, past like these people were mad at that at those people right and you want to get into the economic circumstances uh those were two really good books for me mm. number you know first of all um claybon had a the briefest stop at um dad summit of anyone <laughs> and uh, i only bring this up because i feel i feel I don't know if it was your pain, but I empathize with your situation, Claybon, because I have been there. You came to the party, you were aggressive in hoping to um take care of a what how old's your daughter one uh, one she just turned one yeah okay so she's one and malcolm is four is four but he's he's such a substantial four that it he is he's a lot and you yeah and you realized i don't know how long it was but it wasn't long that um nope not worth it. Yeah, it wasn't gonna work. And so, gonna so leave. Pulled it might have been a half hour. It was. I I did. I've done the exact same thing multiple multiple times. 
You got to pull the ripcord sometimes, and that those and I wouldn't those even have tried differences the baby. are not 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 a centric <laughs> yeah. there, Patrick. Like you, you're aggressive even trying the baby part of it, like co- combining it. I I would sometimes I'd I'd leave with one. Mine are older now, and it is it does um, get easier. So Thank you know, you. That, 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 <laughs> it does get easier. That I, I think it doesn't get easy, but it gets easier. <laughs> I think uh, in situations like that, uh, and I should read more nonfiction. I don't know. I I don't read enough nonfiction. I. Like reading is really. In- I was going to critique you in the same way, Greg. I don't think you've been reading enough nonfiction and <laughs> get your act together, please. I almost only read fiction. It's like I, I didn't really come to reading this aggressively until I was about 32. So it's never too late. But I really found it is the most relaxing um, thing I can do. Like it's the best thing I have for mental health. I, I have never had a religion, but I think it's the closest thing I have to a religion where it like, it just chills me out. It get, and I think it's cause it takes you out of your own head that at least for me. And it's nice to get, you know, it's the same thing with a great movie, but it takes you out of your own head, goes into someone else's head because we're football though. I'm going to throw out a couple of football books. Um, it's been a while since I read these, but I just thought, uh, and I've probably done it before on this show, but I don't care. Uh, bringing the heat by Mark, uh, Bowden is maybe my favorite season in the life uh, book ever. The same guy wrote this book called Black Hawk Down, which became a big movie. But before that, he wrote a season in life about the Randall Cunningham, Jerome Brown Eagles. And it's so awesome. I've read it more than once. It really holds up. And he really goes in and the characters on that Eagles team are awesome. Similarly, uh, there's this book, A Few Seconds of Panic by Stefan Fatsis, where he was in the Broncos training camp in 2006, kind of doing this George Plimpton paper line thing where he got to practice with the kickers all the time and eventually got to like, you know, kick during some inter squad scrimmage or something uh, at practice. But it's, there's so few books that have like a real inside look at what a team is like now. And this is Jay Cutler's rookie year. So it's Jay Cutler versus Jake Plummer. There's Mike Shanahan being very Mike Shanahan y and like sort of dominating an entire organization. There's Brandon Marshall as a rookie. Javon Walker's there. And and it's a lot of time with the kickers and punters too, which is a fun world. And that is a really fun read. And then to go really old school and see like what the NFL was like, uh, the last season of Weeb Bank by Paul Zimmerman, who I've, who I've brought up before, Paul Zimmerman. But this is uh, one of Joe Namath's injured seasons in New York. And he's you know, on the plane with them the whole time. And it's a great look at what the NFL was like back then and really well-written. So there's some three football books for you. So there's some nonfiction. I like that. Yeah. And I do read, I do read fiction as well. I got the zombie survival guide in my Okay. Shop. I didn't know. <laughs> is that nonfiction? That, uh, I mean, that well, is fiction. What is that? Well, uh, I guess. What is you know, it? It's, it's a guide zombie- to, to prepare for, for the eventual rise of the living dead. Right. Okay. Do you <laughs> feel, did book. it bring up things you wouldn't have thought up? Do you, are you it, prepared? It, it, honestly, it was helpful for the pandemic, like food prep and, and storage wise. Uh, not as much right fending off people, but we did see that line of people at the gun store right right across the street from the network. Okay. Uh, maybe they were taking it to heat, but uh, not me. <laughs> you had another one, Mark. Uh, so the other one that I've been reading is this actor Klaus Kinski. Why am I so bad at putting the book in the camera? Um, he it's called Kinski Uncut. He is an actor that died, you know, some decades ago. One of the craziest human beings um, around. Werner Herzog, the director, uh, did a, they did a documentary together based on the many films together called Not My Best Friend, But My Best Fiend because there were multiple times when Klaus Kinski literally was planning to kill Werner Herzog on set. I mean, there's some incredible what? stories. What? He's German. He's a crazy man. But this this autobiography, I don't know why I'm stacking autobiographical reads, but... um. You know, you get like 50, 60 pages into it. And you're like, if this is this actually this man's life, um, I have never read any account of ones living this way ever, ever before. Um, he's a truly strange character. But there are uh, whispers um, and maybe more than whispers that a lot of the book is just made up that he went <laughs> and wrote a huge autobiography, but concocted like huge chunks of it um, as total fiction. That said, you can tell that some of it is based in his real um, experiences in a completely different world than we've ever lived in. So I, if nothing else, it is a gripping read. You've suddenly read like 31 pages and you have no idea where the hours have gone. Yeah. It's like, what's, what's uh fiction, nonfiction. It blends yeah. together for real. Right. Like Write memoirs and stuff. Yeah. Tell it doesn't truth. matter. I like the, like the more recent trend, they call it like auto fiction. It's like, 
Yeah, you just write about your life, but make up a few things to make the story better and call it fiction. And like sure. that's people like like to read that. That's basically what fiction has been pretty often, anyways. All right. Um, you don't you have to go, Claybon, right? Yeah, I'm I'm copying over a script now. Okay, <laughs> so go. I'm gonna throw out two more just because uh when else are we gonna do this? Dan will be back and he'll be like, No books allowed. Um, all right. Uh we'll say goodbye to you, Claybon. Um, all right, and thanks, I'm Patrick. See you, Claybon. And I'm just gonna throw out two two quick novels too. Um Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokorczyk, which is one of the great titles ever drive your plow over the bones of the dead. It's kind of like a murder mystery where you think possibly animals are killing uh, the humans. Mm. It's not to give away too much, um, but it, it's deep yet a quick read. And the other one is called Earthlings by Sayaka Murata, which I think Mark would really like, which is really out there. Uh, people that do not think they're from um, this planet necessarily, or they just feel a little out of step with what's going on. Um, in Japan, and it goes crazy from there. But it's a lot. Well, of fun. I, I do think you have a bit of a special power in terms of recommending books to me that I like. You you have an incredible batting average, so um, I will write that down. And it will be a book that I'll buy, and then three years from <laughs> now, I'll be like, I probably should start reading this. But you know, it I, looks it just looks good in the background. I picked there, the, those two because they're both like not you know not for you, but yeah, they're like two hundred and fifty pages or less. I think they're both relatively quick reads. Uh, Earthlings, yeah, by Murata and Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by recent Nobel Prize winner Olga Tokorczyk. Wow, but okay. it's a, it's a fun. But that one is like she even said was kind of her. Uh, I need money while I'm writing this tome that took me eight years to right and i'm gonna take a break and write this murder mystery over the course of like six months but it turned out to be like one of her best books and is like an amazing read that's how i feel about like nfl.com articles like in theory (laughs) quietly working on something important in the background while punching these things out left and right not even left and right at this point the the speed is slow (laughs) like wait what are the important thing that you're working on then well, no, that's the part that's missing, unfortunately. But I'd like to think, you know, if you, whenever you like have these, you like to think you're working on something important. In fact, I've probably even told people that at various junctures. Is it true? Not at all. This podcast, is, thing. This podcast is important. Um, I mean, if you've made it this far, um, you, you, in this deep in the off season, you got to love this podcast or you really love reading. Who really knows? We will be back on Tuesday next week. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll have some good stories to tell. And uh, hopefully the NFL does not explode in the next day or two as mini camps wrap up the NFL, all the players, coaches, GMs, front office. They are taking their only true time off of the year through about July 4th. Then some of the people start coming back. The players come back for training camp. We'll be around uh, next week and uh, throughout the offseason, but maybe not quite as much. All right, let's hit the music. There it is. Uh, until Tuesday. Um, Mark Sessler was here. Patrick Claybon was here. We got help from producing Justin. Keep the call. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.